0: Just what you've been waiting for. Movies, TV, music, and more. Follow, subscribe, stay up to date. Episodes drop every other Monday. It's the man. It's the man. Watch it. It's the man. is the man. Watch it. It's the man. is the man. Watch it. Welcome to the Matt Watch That podcast, the place for reviews, rants, and randomness. I'm your host, Matt Sarosky, filmmaker, film fan. Each episode, I'm going to watch a movie or TV pilot that I probably should have seen but never got around to. It could be a recent favorite, critic's choice, or cult classic. To join in on the conversation, follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook, at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what I should see next, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Before we start, I'm all for office parties. Anytime a company is willing to shell out a couple of bucks so its employees can celebrate the holidays is always encouraged. And it's an opportunity to mingle with your coworkers outside of the smile and hey as you awkwardly pass each other in the halls. But for some reason, the free food and drinks doesn't seem to be enough for people. Everyone should know by now that I love Halloween. It's fun dressing up and admiring each other's creativity. It can spark conversations with people that you're not sure how to break the ice with, but I'm not sure why people feel that making it a competition encourages more participation. I've actually seen it have a negative effect. People want to dress up, but they don't want to be paraded around and show off their costume. Now, I'll admit a bit of hypocrisy. Many years ago, I won an office costume contest when I dressed as Hannibal Lecter. But when my coworkers wanted me to recite lines from the movie and start performing as the character, that's when I shut down. It's like, I'm not a monkey, folks. But I started to realize that no one likes to just have fun anymore. There has to be a pot of gold at the end of the rainbow. I feel like it's a very American attribute. Like, I would go to game night at my friend's house, and it didn't matter what it was. It could have been poker, Monopoly, the game of life, Rummy. They always wanted to bet. They always wanted to put money down. It's like, really? We can't just have fun? Really? I had to come prepared with a bunch of dollar bills, like I'm going to the strip club? It's okay to do something without wanting to win something. This is why, as a parent, I will never pay my kids anything. Am I going to get money for it? No, you got a house and food and clothes for it. Do your chores. Now, don't get me wrong. I am a capitalist. I like money. I like earning money. But it gets tiring after a while. If you're playing Stratego, there's no reason to bet on it. And similarly, if you're having an office costume party, put on Monster Mash and Thriller and enjoy the free stuff. Is winning a contest really worth a $50 gift card? On to the main attraction. Each review will end with a ranking out of 5 stars. 1 star is Skip It, 2 stars Watch at Your Own Risk, 3 stars Standard fare. 4 stars Worth Checking Out, and 5 stars Must See. Now if I give a title 5 stars, it doesn't mean I'm comparing it to Casablanca, Jaws, or Seinfeld. I rank titles based on other movies or TV series in that genre and at that time period. On this episode of the podcast, I'll be reviewing Terrifier from 2016 and its sequel, Terrifier 2 from 2022. Yes, we have a double feature today a first for the Matt Watch That podcast. Both movies were written and directed by Damien Leone. The idea for the maniacal Art the Clown started in short films where he was portrayed by Mike Gianelli. The character made his big-screen debut in All Hallows' Eve, where a VHS tape of his murders was watched by a babysitter who soon realizes that the clown is now stalking her. But he didn't reach his full homicidal potential until his starring vehicle, Terrifier and Terrifier 2. David Howard Thornton plays the sinister clown, The characters performed by Jenna Cannell, Samantha Scafidi, Catherine Corcoran, Lauren Lavera, Elliot Fulham, fall victim to the evil jester. This is something to look out for. David Howard Thornton uses his experience in miming in his performance as Art the Clown. It was also inspired by silent film actors Charlie Chaplin, Buster Keaton, and Lon Chaney. So let's jump into it. Terrifier starts with talk show host Monica Brown interviewing the sole survivor of the Miles County Massacre. She's incredibly disfigured, which took place at the hands of Art the Clown. After leaving a costume party on Halloween night, Tara and Dawn have an uncomfortable encounter with Art the Clown in an alleyway, and the jester follows them to a pizzeria. He takes an unhealthy interest in Dawn before being kicked out. When they return to the car, it has a flat, leaving them stranded. Dawn calls on her sister, Vicky, to pick them up. As they wait, Dawn leaves to use the bathroom at a nearby building as Tara listens to the car radio which announces that authorities are investigating a double homicide of two employees at the Deer Hills Pizzeria, and a person of interest is a tall, thin man wearing a black-and-white clown costume. Terrifier 2 begins with teenager Sienna Shaw preparing her Halloween costume for a party. She's worried about her brother Jonathan, who wants to dress as Art the Clown from the Miles County Massacre. She expresses those opinions to their mother, Barbara. They're a family in duress after the recent passing of their father from a brain tumor. That night, Sienna has a nightmare about Art the Clown. The next morning, Jonathan has a vision of Art the Clown at school and is suspended when the teacher finds a dead possum in the hallway. The siblings talk to each other about their encounters and upon further investigation, realizing that their father had foresights and made sketches of Art the Clown and his victims. Here's a quote without context. Punctuality is the thief of time, dear. Terrifier and its sequel are not for the faint of heart. If you don't like horror, you should pass on these movies. If you like the genre, be prepared for a good amount of gore and unapologetic violence. Both have a decent amount of suspense and scares that should satisfy fans of these types of films. It's certainly inspired by 80s movies, but with the benefit of higher production values and modern technology. Art the Clown could be the next iconic villain. He has a stark black-and-white look that is both simple and unnerving. The character is mute, which I thought was the right choice. It makes him much more eerie in the same vein as Michael Myers or Jason. He would have been less effective if he made threats of cheeky one-liners like Freddy Krueger or Hellraiser. The rest of the acting is pretty decent, especially for an independent, low-budget movie. In Terrifier 2, fans of Sleepaway Camp will recognize a cameo from Felissa Rose. The makeup and special effects were on the level of the early work of legend Tom Savini. You had the standard stabbings and limbs being chopped off, but there were also some very clever and effective slayings. Some of the images made me wonder how the filmmakers were able to accomplish it, and it's all practical effects which is always preferred. Each film has one signature slaying scene that might leave even the most hardcore horror fans squirming. The only real downfall from these movies are the motivations behind Art the Clown. I think the best films gives the antagonist a valid reason for their actions, and that wasn't explored here. But people are a little more forgiving about backstories with horror movies. Now for a little trivial trivia. When Dawn is listening to the car radio, an advertisement for Craven Halloween Store plays. This is an obvious reference to horror icon Wes Craven, director of A Nightmare on Elm Street, The Hills Have Eyes, Swamp Thing, and Scream. Terrifier was shot in Los Angeles, California, and Deer Park, New York. Its sequel was mostly filmed in New Jersey and at Fright Factory in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. The cinematography was captured by George Stuber, whose filmography includes Making of a Mogul, Just for Laughs, and Straight Outta Queens. It was edited by the director, Damien Leone. The score was composed by Paul Wiley, who wrote the music for *Barry the Bride, Frankenstein vs. the Mummy, and Boondocks. I was impressed with this score. It was updated nostalgia. It could have been written by John Carpenter, mixing synthesized sounds with live instrumentation. I've been listening to it on YouTube and it holds up outside of the context of the film. One of my favorite parts. The runtime for Terrifier was 1 hour 26 minutes. It had a budget of 35,000 and grossed 416,000 at the box office. Its sequel had a bloated runtime of 2 hours 18 minutes with a budget of 250,000. It winded up earning over 15 million. It's been announced that future Terrifier movies are in the works, with Terrifier 3 expected to be shot in November or December of this year. On the Ski Index, I give both movies 3.5 out of 5 stars. I would say the sequel raised the bar on all levels from its predecessor, but I have to ding it for the runtime. If you've seen Terrifier or Terrifier 2 and have opinions on the movie, let me know what you think using the hashtag MattWatchThat. Moving right along, each episode, I'm going to post clips that I think people should watch. It could be movie trailers, music videos, interviews, or something completely random. Search for my YouTube page and there'll be a playlist called Matt Watch That Playback. Even though my love for wrestling has diminished since the downfall of WCW in 2002, it's always been in my periphery, and even though I've watched less of it this year than I have in my entire life, I'm still a defender of the art form. And yes, it is an art form. If people know it's scripted and consider it entertainment, why shouldn't it be compared to film and television? People praise actors for gaining or losing weight for a part. Christian Bale appeared downright gaunt after losing over 60 pounds for the role in The Machinist. So why is a wrestler who blades themselves with a razor to bleed to enhance the storyline of a match not as worthwhile? Is it because they wear sparkly Speedos? But what I appreciate most about wrestling is the sacrifice that the superstars make in the ring. Their bodies are put through the ringer. And unlike sports and real athletes, there is no offseason. They're expected to perform every single night. Even if they get injured in the ring, their objective is to finish the match. The show must go on. The wrestlers are also aware that if they are injured, they're likely to lose their spot. So they push through when other athletes would go on the IL. The worst injury that I've seen occurred in WCW at the Sin Pay-Per-View in 2001. In the main event for the World Heavyweight Championship, Sid Vicious was involved in a four-corners match against Scott Steiner, Jeff Jarrett, and Road Warrior Animal. Now, he was encouraged by the front office to come off the top rope to expand his wrestling arsenal. And when he tried to execute a jumping big boot from the second turnbuckle, he suffered a broken tibia and fibula, which left his foot hanging in his boot 180 degrees from where it should be. I've seen it twice and never want to watch it again. But I came across a video on YouTube from Dr. Mike, where he reacts to painful WWE injuries and gives his expert analysis. None of the videos are too extreme. You might cringe here and there. But it's mostly educational. I've also included a video that shows how wrestlers check on each other after a big spot. You see, the point of sports entertainment is to do it full contact. Make it look as real as possible without injuring one another. It seems like some wrestlers these days forget that. The videos are all available in the Matt Watch That Playback playlist on YouTube. Check it out. Now it's time for the recommendation. Yes, that's the word recommendation with Matt in the middle. I'm going to end each podcast with my own recommendation of a movie or TV series. Today I'm talking about JFK. Directed by Oliver Stone, he co-wrote the screenplay with Zachary Sklar. It tells the story of New Orleans District Attorney Jim Garrison, who opens an investigation into the assassination of President John F. Kennedy. It's based on two books. On the Trail of the Assassins by Jim Garrison, and Crossfire, The Plot That Killed Kennedy by Jim Mars. It stars Kevin Costner, Gary Oldman, Tommy Lee Jones, Sissy Spacek, and Joe Pesci. It also features Kevin Bacon, John Candy, Laurie Metcalf, Michael Rooker, J.O. Sanders, Donald Sutherland, Jack Lemmon, and Walter Matthau. Whenever I play Six Degrees of Kevin Bacon, I always try to get back to JFK, Because you have so many different generations of actors from different mediums. Film, television, theater. I'll give you one to think about and I'll reveal the answer later in the podcast. Link Judy Garland to Kevin Bacon. Anyway, the first time that I had ever seen the Zabruder film was in 1989. Because I didn't understand the lyric, JFK blown away what else do I have to say? From Billy Joel's number one hit, We Didn't Start the Fire. So I was shown the video by a family member. There weren't too many filters back then. A scene involving the Zabruder film and the magic bullet theory was cleverly parodied on Seinfeld, involving Keith Hernandez, the second spitter on the gravelly road, Roger McDowell, and one magic loogie. Wayne Knight was involved in that scene as Newman, and he also appeared in JFK. But after seeing that grainy footage, I watched almost every doc on the JFK assassination. And while I don't necessarily believe in conspiracy theories, I also can't wrap my head around the secrecy about this killing. I'm still waiting for all the materials to be declassified, which the last two presidents promised the public. But back to the movie. I think everything is top-notch. The acting is incredible. Even Joe Pesci's over-the-top performance as David Ferry. It's one of my favorite non-Spielberg John Williams scores. Those military snare drums sound so sharp. And that solo trumpet is equally inspiring and melancholy. What I'm most impressed by is how the archive footage was seamlessly incorporated into the filmed scenes. It's also one of those rare three-hour-plus movies that I can sit through every time. I even tolerate the director's cut, which adds about 17 minutes of footage. It was nominated for eight Oscars at the 64th Academy Awards, winning two for Best Film Editing and Best Cinematography. It's a great movie. What can I say? Top 15 for me. If you've never seen it, watch it now. JFK. That's all for this edition of Matt Watch That. Thanks for listening to me babble. You can follow me on Twitter, Instagram, and Facebook at Matt Sarosky. You can subscribe to my YouTube page where I'll post videos and clips from the show. If you have any opinions on what I've discussed, or suggestions as to what movie or TV pilot I should see, use the hashtag MattWatchThat on social. Head over to MattSaroski.com for the latest news and updates, and come back next time for the reviews, rants, and randomness. And now for the six degrees of Kevin Bacon reveal. Judy Garland was in Pepe with Jack Lemmon, who is in JFK with Kevin Bacon. It's been announced that future Terrifier movies are in the works with Terrifier Free. Terrifier Free. It can spark conversations with people you're not sure how to break the wall with. Break the wall. Its sequel was mostly filmed in New Jersey and at Fright Factory in Philadelphia, Pennsylvania. Pennsylvania and Sarah Voigt fall victim to the evil Jester. Jester. Jester.